August 29, 2023. It's a Watt for Pedro show. Next time we go over there, I get another part. And he would stop and show me some parts that were pretty difficult. And if I had a lot of trouble, well, he'd get his portfolio out, you know, and I'd show him the music. He's got music, he's got all of them written. Mm-hmm. And I read it and learn it. He would rather a guy learn without reading, you know, because that way you, you feel it better. You feel it quicker when you memorize it, when you learn it by heart, by it, you know. And so I, he'd, uh, when I almost have the tune down, then he would leave, leave me with it. You know, he'd leave me to practice it alone. And he'd go out somewhere, maybe we'd go to the store, go back to bed or something. Mm-hmm. And I'd just sit there and run over to I had it pretty well. And, and I'd call him and we'd play it down together. And sometimes we'd just get one tune a day.
quick several times over that hinge would really sell I'm sure of it
from Pedro show happy Tuesday started off the show with John Coltrane talking to August Bloom on June 15 1958 about playing with Thelonious Monk then we had OS or is it OS the field trip and because of those uh, Skype 
software engineers in Estonia. Well, I should have said Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention. Ah, we got, let me see if I'm pronouncing this right, David Menestris. It's pretty close. It's Menestre, but, you know, okay, I'll take Menestre. what I can get. Yeah, I'm yeah, not picky. Front save, front save, of course. Menestre, Menestre. Yeah, what an idiot. Yeah, t- tortillas. <laughs> and There's gel- literally four people in the world with that last name, so don't worry about learning it. Okay, but like jalapenos <laughs> and tortillas and, you know, <laughs> fry <laughs> As we were going across the Mojave on our way to La Jolla. <laughs> We could like go on forever with that shit. So I'm sorry, David Menestrate people, good people. Uh, and who's our connect? Uh, Andrew Klimek. That's right, right. Yeah, bitchin' beautiful man, Andrew. Ohio. Yeah, I I saw him in Cleveland when we played up there back in April. Flat, flat, round on the sides, flat in the middle. Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. The Devo state sucks, song. but the music is amazing. So you know. Well, I think every state's got good parts and bad parts. It depends That's true. on on the the fate of life, what kind of sits you find yourself in. But, you know, if you go back, it probably might be another way. That's what I've learned with all the torrent. Uh, Absolutely. But I'm really interested in your musical journey, how you come to make this kind of stuff. So uh, let's start with you bringing your earliest musical recollection, please, David. Uh, so... Supposedly, when I was like four or five, I forced my parents to buy Michael Jackson's Thriller, which is probably my earliest musical memory. And then I bought, I got really heavily into like um, Beastie Boys when I was like six, when they were kind of new. I listened to License to Ill over and over, and I think my mom lied about losing the tape. Like she intentionally threw it away because she was tired of hearing it. Yes, <laughs> yes. good memory. Yeah. In this pad you grew up in was their musical instruments. Uh, nobody in my family played, but my parents listened to a lot of music. Uh, my dad listened to lots of Dylan and the Beatles and Hendrix and British Invasion stuff. And I heard a lot of classical music, weirdly enough, driving around on the radio in his truck. Well, let um, me ask you about school. Were you in the marching band or the choir or shit like that? I played flute in elementary school. And then in middle school, my band director was such a fucking dick that I quit playing flute. And I started playing bass in seventh grade because they had a beginning orchestra class. And they were like, you're tall, you get a bass. You know, know, self-defense is no offense. Fuck you, fuck teacher. (laughs) I think that's the thing. It's the teacher. It's not the idea of learning. It's, man, there's a skill in teaching. Not everybody can do it. Absolutely. It's a real skill. And I like have great admiration for anybody who can stand in front of a class and do it, especially a music class. You know, like that's got to be so much harder listening to like 40 middle school kids who can't play all playing at once. Yeah. They got to start somewhere, though. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So first record you bought with your own money, please, David. Uh, That was the license to ill take. I was like six. Yeah. I think I saw that tour with Raymond at the Greek theater. Nice. Run DMC. I remember the amazing the guy with the glasses, right? He's still around, and he said, "I, uh-huh. I got some new Levi's." So I thought that yeah. was I remember that. Uh, <laughs> what about first gig you saw? Um, that's a good question. Um, I know, like when I was a kid, my grandparents used to take me to the NC Symphony, so I guess technically that would have been the first concert I saw. You know, they did like children's concerts like once a month or some crap like that on Saturday mornings. Um, first like band band, like rock band or whatever that I remember seeing, uh, probably would have been D 
Dylan in the early 90s with my parents. Okay. And yeah. the string bass, right? You get put on that because you're tall. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of trippy going from flute because, yeah, that's another staff. Totally. And it's like just flipping the whole thing from the person on the top of the band to the person on the bottom. And, yeah, now I think it seems to agree with me. You know, I'm trying to learn this fucking euphonium talking about bass club. <laughs> but these horn things, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the flute. Is it the same? Does a lot of notes got to come from the lip? It, it ain't the valves. Look at a bugle. Fuck, I ain't even got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No valves on a bugle. That's right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Oh, actually, uh, when you're on tour, next time you're in Durham, North Carolina, you need to go to the Tuba Museum. Uh, there's this. Speaking of euphoniums, there's this guy who has this like incredible tuba collection that includes euphoniums and French horns and all this crap. Totally Euphon- weird. Really worth a visit. Euphoniums really close to baritone horn. In fact, I thought it mm-hmm. was. Yeah. Now, uh, I got it like. I don't know, late 80s on tour, Champaign, Illinois, Latter-day Saint stamp on the case, 80 bucks. Nice. I never learned it. Now I'm trying the last year. Man, is it fucking hard. this? Because, you know, with the bass, you put your finger where it's supposed to go, and most of the times that's what's going to come out. It right. ain't like that with a fucking horn. So that's why I was curious about the flute. Do you, do the part of the note have to come from the lip? It's not really just... Yeah, but you know, it's also been so long since I've played a flute that like my brain doesn't even comprehend how to put like how to use valves anymore. Yeah. You know, like I'm a string player now. You put one finger down, you hit it with yeah. the other finger, right. and you're good to go. Right. You like don't this, have this concept of like keys and stuff and valves, and especially because you know it's not chromatic, right? You know, it's no. got like weird finger patterns and stuff. That's and right. I don't know, my brain just doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah, uh, I don't blame you. I'm just looking for a little insight from fellow musicians. so now the string bass was at school and were you using the school or did you get your own those things are fucking expensive yeah um so to my parents credit i don't think they fully understand the interest in playing music but they were always really supportive of it and so i started in seventh grade on a school bass and in eighth grade they got me a bass like one of these like rent to own from a band instrument store you know, like a plywood piece of shit bass. Sure. Um, but they did it and they made it work. And I know financially that was a thing. And I started taking lessons, which was also financially a thing. You mean lessons um, on top of the school? Yeah, outside of the school. Yeah, okay. Um, you think that and, was a good move? Uh, yeah, I think for me it was. Like at the time, like in high school and stuff, I mostly played classical music and I started getting into jazz. So I didn't really like come up in the rock or punk world. So it was just kind of one of those things of like, if you're interested in it, at a certain point, you start taking private lessons. Well, well, speaking of private, I was going to get to this because whatever the, the fuck, if I, I hate the genre word, so watch that. <laughs> I'll grow that shit. But, but the thing where, but not graduate after school, but after school in the afternoon, the garage band, the basement band, the bedroom band. I had um, a friend of mine uh, in high school started a jazz trio, and I started playing with him some. That was like my intro to jazz stuff, and I sucked at it for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, but it was fun, you know? Sure, so sure. I kind of kept doing it. And just the idea of playing with cats your own age and unsupervised, right? Totally, totally. It was such a thing to get out of like the band room or orchestra room and just, you know, we could do whatever we wanted. And it was a thing figuring that out, you know? So but it was I, a lot of fun. I'm going to guess or assume my pop loved the spelling of that word. He says, that's not accident, boy. But uh, <sighs> your first gig was probably with the school band. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. It would have been like a middle school orchestra concert or something, or I guess the elementary school band, uh, you know, on flute. Oh, so. okay, yeah, way back, okay. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, but this little jazz band with your, uh, like, peer? Yeah. Did they do gigs? Uh, we did some gigs, like, uh, you know, like background music and art galleries, kind of bullshit. Um, yeah, but that's, you know. You know playing standards, playing uh, a bunch of those, like, early, you know, 1950s jazz tunes. But as far as performing without, you know, like, the adult supervision, that's kind of breaking the water. Totally, yeah, that was definitely the first experience of doing that with as ourselves doing our own thing. Okay. You gave me this big piece here. I had to split it in two parts. Poly chord doing uh, grid 17, autoscopic or orography. <laughs> listen, let's listen. Yeah.
Mamcan Curedise Asebut Not Fate. Neverlet Yesterday Mamcan Curedise Asebut Not Fate. En Oğuk Neverlet Yesterday Asebut
Wofford Pedro show. Started off that chunk of music with Polycord. No, it's Polycard. Polly Orchard. Oh, Polly Orchard. Yeah, it's Polly yeah. Orchard. <laughs> yeah. So I, I started so using sorry. a band name because nobody can pronounce my last name. And now nobody pronounces the band name right either. So it's well, just, you know, it's I didn't read it right. Yeah, it's Polly Orchard, people, which means <laughs> like if you ever seen the fucking uh, Elvin Jones, uh, it's only half hour. There's a doc on him on YouTube.com called Different Drummers. And he mm -hmm. describes this, the concept of polyrhythm. Well, poly meaning many and rhythm meaning rhythm. <laughs> so this is, yeah, orchard meaning orchard and poly meaning many. So many arches. And uh, grid 17, autoscopic orography. So you put together this piece? Yeah, so that piece, that, that whole album in excess of primary forms was done by me and uh, this guy, Laurent Estopi, who's a, a Swiss sax player who splits his time between the U.S. and Switzerland because his family is here. Um, and that was actually like a COVID album where we were just tossing files back and forth. Oh, yeah. Uh, some, yeah. Of the, some of it's live, but that piece in particular is just, you know, trading files back and forth until everything was destroyed into something else. Oh, I should have said the baloney seat. That's what we call the... <laughs> On the airplane, right? The three, uh -huh. yeah, right. The baloney. I got it from Scotty's son of the Stooges. He said at one time his mom said, "Scotty, you're just a baloney," because he was the middle child, right? Mm -hmm. But the baloney tune in that chunk of music there between the grid seventeen autoscopography was brand new from Bombas Prendon, Black Lake in My Eye. So uh, maybe we're jumping ahead, especially if this was a COVID nineteen sitch tune. What happens to you? Uh, after high school, you, you take music to higher education. Yeah, I went to music school because um, I don't know, you know, I kind of it was one of these things that like music doesn't come easy to me, it feels like. So it was something I wanted to study because it was difficult because I'm an idiot. Um, but um, it was it was an interesting experience. <laughs> Not an idiot. I don't think slow, it was super slow. good. But. Let's let you know that Tommy Pynchon put out an anthology of his early works and he called it Slow Learner. Yeah, like exactly. That yeah, that's me for sure. Why to? Yeah. Um, but music school, I don't know. It wasn't really my place, but I didn't really know enough about the music I wanted to do to be able to really get to where I needed to be. Like, you know, I didn't even know how to ask the questions I needed to ask. Um, or, so, or even the the no. Right, right, right. Even to know, like, you know, I got to know about the Art Ensemble of Chicago before or, I can or, ask somebody about them. Or, right? or, or uh, I meant no in the negative. Like, I don't want to do that. You don't, if you're open-minded enough, you want to try it first, right? Totally. And that's that's kind of what it, music school ended up becoming was a long lesson in all the things I didn't want from music. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Negative reinforcement. Yeah, which is, you know, again, valuable lessons. Yes, it's absolutely. To absolutely. know what you don't want to do. Absolutely. Like, I don't know where I'm wandering, but if I fucking step in that hole, the wander's going to be cut short. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so swerve to avoid. Okay, so uh, do you make, you know, a lot of cats, this is where they make bands, right? Why they're learning. Yeah. So did you do that, like, in the parallel universe? Um, definitely, like, outside of school, we had, I played in various forms of um jazz bands i guess for lack of a better genre word to put it you know free improvised stuff or tune kind of based stuff uh, but definitely that was like pretty foundational on figuring out what i actually wanted to do you know was getting out there and doing it ourselves and being like this sucks i don't want to do this again or i like this and you know kind of following that thread for a while you know the fucking stereotype of the bass is support right but i'm curious yep. did you get to learn composition 
Uh, I did study some of that and definitely, um, you know, I got a lot of like uh, theory lessons, both from classical and jazz backgrounds. Um, but, you know, as an improviser, you're always thinking compositionally, whether Absolutely. that ends up getting In written moment, on a piece of paper right. or not. But like there's, a, you know, I got done the last couple of years reading like 10 John Coltrane, but people you practice it <laughs> in public. And he said, you know what? Improvising is sort of like practicing in public. Yeah. 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 I know Miles was big into that. He always told his bands to practice in public. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you know, people, it's like they, they want the experience before you, they even have it mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of letting the artists mm-hmm. fucking try to get it together and express themselves. Uh, trippy. So what were some of these bands that you, you pr- probably didn't give me any of the music from those days? Uh, no, definitely for sure. Any recordings I have <laughs> from that time sure. have intentionally been deleted. So um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure some of them exist out there, but it was probably um, like the first stuff I'm willing to admit to was probably with this guy, Dave Fox, this piano player who taught at Greensboro College uh-huh. and Ian Davis, who was the drummer in Chapel Hill who ran the Micro East Collective and did uh, the Unstable Ensemble and a bunch of other bands. Okay. And, what, what and about, they were like uh, a generation older than me, so it was kind of well, like a big was, thing I, that to play with I was going to say, uh, what about, especially Greensboro, right, and, and uh, going back, Veteranos, Professor Eugene Chadbourne. Yeah, uh, me and Eugene have been playing together since no, 2000, not, forever, yeah. Well, I'm talking about from this period, that like you're naming these other North Carolina cats. Oh, well, so I started playing with Eugene, I guess, technically before Dave and Ian. Um, I started playing with Eugene in 2000, and I probably started playing with Dave Fox and Ian Davis maybe in 2002. Uh, So right around there, like the stuff, all the stuff that was happening outside of the academic institution, um, you know, was that kind of started popping off there. And I think most of what I do now can definitely be traced to either the band with Dave and Ian or Eugene Chadbourne. Like, those are definitely, like, the two sources of everything. Whoa, okay. And, and what about uh, Man Alone recording? Like, you know, yeah, recording yourself. Um, I did, in co- in college, actually, I did a lot of electronic music stuff, like classical electronic music stuff, you know. And I did, so I got, like, a lot of education in how to record and things like that. But I didn't really start recording my own playing regularly, um really until Polly Orchard became a thing in late 2012. Um, so there's, you know, I was playing throughout a lot of that time, but there's not really recordings of any of that stuff. Were you using school synthesizers or did you, because your main instrument was a bass, right? But did you buy, end up getting a synthesizer? Um, I actually, I've gotten some in the last couple of years, but when I was in college, you know, yeah. I was using all of their equipment their stuff, because yeah. you could afford that crap as a college right, kid. Right, right, you know? right. And some of, some pads had really good resources, right? They did for sure. You know, like any school you get a professor for a few years who's really interested in something gets a budget. And so there ends up being like a room filled with equipment that nobody uses 10 years later. And, and it's wasted, right? It is. I know. Like I think about like there was like an ARP twenty six hundred in there that I should have just stolen. Nobody would have known the difference. Wow, because they 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 were kind of a pioneer thing, right? A lot of cats when that that machine came out. Yeah, and that's what um, Eliana Radig uses. Uh Like most of her electronic music was done on the ARP twenty six hundred. Okay, and then there's the modular thing, right? Like uh, Brother Ted was telling me about Mills College and things like Uh that. No way could a student afford that. Yeah. 
No, and even now, like uh, I kind of like the idea of modular stuff, but like the buy-in is so ridiculous. Yeah, that, like, yeah. You know, I'll just keep, I'll just buy a new set of bass strings for the same price and just keep going <laughs> with that. <laughs> or the you know Casio one hundred and one right the Econo route. Mm-hmm. There's dudes who make uh, music with boxes for guitars, right? The the fuzz right? boxes, yeah. Yeah, I, I do. A, I do a lot of stuff with like shoving crap into the strings of my bass, like styrofoam and cardboard and balloons and things, because I figure that's the way I can get those sounds, but still get them out of my bass. Well, you know, piano players have been doing that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, just like prepared piano. Except as a bass player, you have to deal with gravity. Oh, you know, David. so shit falls out and hurts your bass if it's you, too heavy. David, Dave, this made me just think of something. I got to play a gig once with Bertram Turetsky. He's extended. No shit. Yeah. No shit. I wouldn't shit you. That guy, Damon Smith, got some gig where me, him, and three of his buddies with Bertram Turetsky, who's had pieces written for him, right? For his ex- the, the dude literally wrote the book on twentieth century bass playing. I mean, like, he's amazing. So an inspiration to you. Yeah, totally. That guy was huge. Um, I have his book somewhere in a box. I just moved recently, so everything's in a box. But um, And Chadbourne told me he used to play with Turetsky a lot. So he told me lots of Turetsky stories as well. Okay, okay. So this thing about, like, extending the the bass, putting stuff in the strings. Not screwdrivers <laughs> like Thurston, but styrofoam? Yeah, styrofoam. Uh, so a lot of this comes out of work in restaurant jobs, you know, and just stealing shit from the recycling as I'm going out to the dumpster at the end of the day. Repurpose, but, repurposing. Yeah, repurposing. But like styrofoam, you want to use the old environmentally unfriendly styrofoam, yeah, not right. the new shit. That shit sucks. Okay. Um, but, you know, styrofoam is a bunch of tiny little balls packed together. Sure. So it all resonates when sure. you shove it in your strings. Uh-huh. And so you can use it on the strings itself or you can shove it in the strings and bow it and get all kinds of like really horrific shrill sounds out of it. Yeah. And then there's just like the visual of like I'm the idiot on stage doing this thing with a block of styrofoam. (laughs) And like if you're if you're bowing it, you know, the bow starts to cut into it. So you get like styrofoam flying everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Work in the room. Work in the room. And like, you know, usually I like to do it in places where I don't have to clean up afterwards, but I try to be the guy who cleans up afterwards because it makes a giant mess. Yes, probably some particles suspended in the air and getting breathed. If if you if you look inside my base, there's a lot of styrofoam and birch bark and all kinds of shit hanging out in the bottom of that base now. Maybe the pores of your skin. Look, David, we're at the end of the first hour, August 29, 2023 edition. Wapito, so special guest. David Menestray. Hold tight for hour two. August 29, 2023, second hour of Watt for Pedro Show. Thank you. 
Rock for Pedro show. Start off the second hour with Piano Trio doing Arch Drive Pool. Then we had Rubber O Cement from Oaktown in the East Bay. Chloroflexus Rush for the Tumor Necrosis Party Dip. It's a title. And then uh, Jessica Ackerley and David Manistray, part one of two of Live at Cold Spring Hollow. We ran out of time, people, so you'll hear the rest of this tune on tomorrow's show with Brother Matt. So, uh, in likeness to the Piano Trio, not such an imaginative name, but the music is like, whoa. Yeah, so uh, Piano Trio is uh, Joe Christensen on piano and Will Redman on drums and compositions. He teaches composition at Towsend, and he plays in this sick band called Micro Kingdom. Um, but he does these kind of like really intensely notated like graphic scores, but they're the kind of thing where you can do more or less whatever you want to do with them. You know, they're really like crazy looking, but there's not necessarily like a correct way to play it. And Arch Dry Pool is a piece he wrote for uh, Polly Orchard, actually, like five or six years ago. Yeah. And then we pulled it up to do it again with Piano Trio. And, and so you're saying like his his compositions and then the way he presents it to you, they're more like suggests? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, so if you look at them, you'll see some things that resemble like traditional notation. But for instance, he doesn't use um, clefs. So, you know, it could be whatever clef you want it to be accidentals are about the relationship to the other notes but then a lot of it also has like um all these graphical elements like dotted lines and boxes and things kind of, like sometimes the set abs kind of like get warped into each other and wrapped around each other he's really <laughs> big into like drawing so he has you know he does all the stuff by hand and it's really exquisite when you say graphic you're serious have you ever seen the lead sheet for john coltrane's love supreme yeah yeah i've got it yeah. on my uh screensaver on the crap top anyway it says at one point quote alabama <laughs> <laughs> and you know what the band does <laughs> that's perfect you know i mean all a score needs to be is something that transmits your ideas to other people so quote alabama written out in longhand is a totally acceptable way to do that you know you know i love that idea that actually creativity and then the things you use to express that are kind of up to the the cat involved. Why does it totally. always got to be fucking nailed up against some yardstick, whether it's, you know, I don't know, legitimate or appropriate or whatever. Yeah, that's you know, great. Yeah, like, you know, European classical notation is one way to do things, sure. but it's not the only way, and it has its own limitations. And, and actually, you know, you know what's trippy about that? It's only a couple hundred years. It ain't even their whole tradition. Not at all. Yeah. Might admit, uh, Mr. Bella Bartok had to go into little villages to get inspired by folk tunes, right? Oh, yeah. I love him. His string quartets were a big thing for me. They still are a big thing for me. So this thing, which actually guy didn't invent much, but knew how to fucking codify a canon, Mr. Wolfgang uh, Mozart, right? Mm -hmm. That's what mm -hmm. you're talking about, I think. I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. Because even European thing, it's it, what it's all centered around is these couple hundred years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and if you go back to just like slightly before that, like us modern people can't even read the music notation they were using anymore. Right, you know? right, right. You got to be a specialist to even understand what that stuff means. Right, and and actually, the opera in Italy—that's why all the, a lot of music terminologies in Italian, right? Because mm -hmm. you got to mm -hmm. sell operas. There's no recordings. You have to sell manuscripts. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, the, I, there's this, this story of after Bach died, they used his manuscripts to wrap up fish at the market. Yeah, so somebody right, decided to save that crap. What about Vincent? Right? He gives his landlord a paint and they use it for the chicken coop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, thank God for Theo's wife, right? That's how we know all this stuff. Look, you gave me some more music here. This is great. It's a, Again, people, I had to cut it in two pieces. Make another little bologna sandwich here. The born shit stirs. Ig said, you know, at a gig, a tune is like a sandwich, you know, with two good pieces of bread. You can have a fucking sorote there in the middle. That's right. Yeah, okay. That's work in the room. This is plays a word for win.
Watch for Pedro Show. That chunk of music start off with Tamarisk. That's the project name, people. Part one of two plays a word for win. Then we had the per- Born Shitsters out of Fukuoka, Japan, Kyushu. Armchair Shame. Man, I love the title. Instrumentals titles are important, huh? Like when Quote Alabama, right? Whoa. <laughs> and then Tamarisk, part two of two, plays a word for win. David, please enlighten us to Tamarisk. Uh, Tamarisk is a band that started last year. I drove from North Carolina out to Texas to start that band with Christina Carter and Andrew Weathers. And, you know, Christina Carter is just one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Like, uh, she's been around for a long time with Charlambides with her now ex-husband, Tom. You know, they've been an ongoing thing for 35 years. Yeah. And she had a band called Scorses with Heather Lee that was really quite exceptional. Yeah. Um, But uh, that piece... Uh, plays a word for wind was recorded in an empty silo out in West Texas. Um, so you hear the wind, you know, whipping all around that thing while we were doing it. Yeah. But that band is also fully improvised. Could I ask you this about an impression of West Texas? Like, where's the yeah. fucking trees, right? No trees. Yeah. It's so flat. No trees. I know. But it's trippy. Uh, and dust it? everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so it's not like just the the pad is something to to capture. It's actually part of the piece. Yeah, it's part of the piece. So the the building we were in is actually um, was a it was a silo that had just been put on a concrete pad and it was being turned into a farmer's house, but they hadn't done any construction in it yet. And Andrew was friends with the guy Eric, so we just kind of went in there and you know spent an hour, and it was amazing. Like uh, listening to Christina in that kind of round environment where everything's just reverberating over and over again scared the shit out of me. I'm not gonna lie. Like I legitimately thought she was gonna open like a door to hell at some point. You really know, amazing. That brings up someone. When I was making my first opera with Hodge and Nels, I was scared shitless every fucking day, right? And then finally Good. Hodge said to me, yeah, that's what Hodge said. He said, what? Being a little bit scared is like being a little bit excited. Totally. totally. So maybe you know, like part, of the, scared, part of the deal with making music is jumping off a cliff and yeah, you don't always right, know if you're going to land. Right. Oh, Jack, right. Right. Like, uh, let go of the pole or something. Let go of, oh, yeah. Jack is great. And actually, um, that show, uh, the piece with Jessica Ackerley you just played, Jack Wright played that same night. Wow. Yeah. Parallel universes. Totally. So so Tamaris is a recent thing. I, I got another piece that we're going to play tomorrow. Yeah. So that's so from is, the same um, session or a different session. That was uh, recorded on tour in April of this year. We did 15 days together um, up the East Coast into Canada and then out to the Midwest. And um, that one was recorded in Montreal at Casa de Popolo. Yeah. And that, that music that's a great is place. wildly Popolo. different than the Plays a Word for Wind stuff. You know, that's the home of the uh, Godspeedy Black Emperor people. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So it was a Spanish cultural center repurposed. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I got to play there a couple times. That that's why it's got that kind of name and stuff to it, and uh, those people, Morrow and all them cats, Ephraim, really mm-hmm. good happening cats. Okay, so you have a connect with them. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Montreal, there there's uh, some happening stuff with the Quebecois people. Uh, so uh, how did how did you bump into them? How did how did Tamaris get started? So I knew Andrew Weathers um, just from around, from the scene. He's a few years younger than me, but we kind of were slowly crossing paths. And then we just kind of, you know, uh, he was lived, doing graduate school at Mills. And then he, he lives out in, outside of Lubbock, Texas, in the middle of nowhere now. And it was just kind of like 
whenever we were in the same place, we would start playing music together. We did a duo album um, that came out on Lurker Bias out of Chicago. And then somewhere along the way, Christina actually followed me on Twitter and I followed her back. And then she was like, oh, I'm just here stalking you. You didn't actually have to follow me, but it ended up being this like we just ended up talking constantly. And she mentioned one day that she really liked the album I did with Andrew. And so a couple of weeks after that, I was like, if I come to Texas, do you want to start a band with me and Andrew? And she said, yes. So that was basically that. I mean, middle of nowhere, but Lubbock is Buddy Holly and uh, Waylon Jennings. That's right. Yeah. And Joe, yeah. Maybe uh, Joe so Eli. Andrew, Andrew lives in Littlefield, which is the town Waylon Abs- Jennings was from. Absolutely. Yeah. And start yeah. out as a bass man, right? With, well, That's right. He didn't start. Bass for Buddy on. Holly. That's right. 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 Yeah. So shows you it's. Sly Stone said, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. That's right. (laughs) Especially not being on that airplane when it crashed. That was a good career move. He he traded seats, right? Yeah, he traded seats because he was sick or somebody was sick or something. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, and and, uh, Richie Valen and the Big Bopper. Yeah, Yeah. very sad. Very sad. Look, we're at the end of the... You know what? You gave me an excerpt version of this tune th- th- the one i was gonna play tomorrow you actually i'm mm-hmm. gonna play next hour of nice. this live at casa del P- uh, popo polo pollo right <laughs> whatever <laughs> no they got a, a, on the hatch there they've got like silk screen of chicken mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah so i don't know maybe it's supposed to have two l's out it's a france it's quebecois too so it's a weird france that's right that's people right. we're at the end of, like the, the, the worst cuss word is tabernacle <laughs> <laughs> of course, I had to say that first time I learned that on stage. We're at the end of the second hour, August 29, 2023. And just want Peter, so special guest, David Men- Menestre. Hold tight for us, three. August 29, 2023, third hour, the watch for Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Watch for Pedro Show. Start off third hour. Polly Orchard doing Scream. That's an excerpt, people, because the actually even the big one had to be cut down, <laughs> right? Okay, then we had F with uh, I grabbed the broken part. F reminds me of uh, Elliot Sharp. You know the guitar man? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Most excellent uh, initials for a musician, right? E Sharp F. Right? That's, <laughs> That's his right. name, right? Yeah, beautiful. Tamarisk after that, the excerpt from the live at Casa del Popo. So I guess this was that tour you guys did. Yeah, that was back in April, yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, and um, what about this? Uh, we're going to play this piece here uh, you did with Dr. Uh, Professor Eugene Chaborn. Uh, Le Roy from Catalog of the Birds by Olivier Messiaen. Yeah, what, when, you, when you play with uh, Huge, is it improvised always? Uh, it's, it depends. Cause like, uh, he, you know, he likes to play songs, you know, so we play lots of songs, but it's not like, uh, he'll put like maybe a lead sheet in front of me, which may or may not have chords, may or may not have lyrics. Um, it might just be like some like weird notation he has to remember what the riff is for the tune. Uh, but part of what I really like about playing with him is, you know, he's the only guy who's going to, on a gig, we're going to play Sun Ra and Johnny Paycheck. <laughs> and like Ornette Coleman and Cindy Lauper and Duke Gellington, you know, just all back to back, you know, like one of the great lessons I learned from him is like all music is valid. You know, music if you like music. it, you can play it and fuck anybody who tells you different. Yeah. Music is music. And all that genre is just some extension of weird tribal. Actually, totally. I think it was a marketing man's, you know, yeah. brilliant quote unquote shortcut on the truth. And there ain't no shortcut on the truth. No, not at all. Um, and that piece with, with Eugene, the, the Messian, is from Catalog of the Birds, which is for piano originally. Right. And we did it for banjo and bass. But, like, it's there's a lot of improvisation in that one. But, like, we don't ever talk about stuff. You know, like, he told me he wanted to do it. So I did my best to figure out how to play this crap on a bass. But we never, like, talked about how we were going to do it together. And that one is a live recording from our tour back in December. And I think that was like the fourth or fifth time we'd played that that tune that week. And each one is totally different. You know, you can recognize the themes and the melodies. Yeah. But they don't they don't really sound alike past that. Even John Coltrane's original compositions are played different. All the live recordings they got, not one of them are the same. Absolutely. The only only time I heard him trying to quote the original was that live in Seattle Love Supreme where you could tell Donald Garrett's never heard the fucking piece before. And then the recorder is like right next to Elvin, so you can't hear him really well, but you can tell him he's like trying to like teach this guy in the moment. There you go, practicing on stage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Talk about North Carolina guy, right? Hamlet, and then uh, High Point grew up. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Also, Thelonious Monk, uh, Diz Gillespie, a lot of cats out of North Carolina. And uh, Nina Simone and George Clinton and June Tyson. Absolute, absolute. Look, uh, isn't that trip? How some pads are like that. South Carolina, James Jamerson. Uh, James Jamerson. And Dizzy. Dizzy's from South Carolina, too. Um, you sure? Glassby. I thought he was from Choctaw, North Carolina. Choctaw is just over the border, actually, basically from Hamlet. They're like 20 minutes apart. Okay, okay. Yeah. But it's it's like real close. You know, done right enough tours. I should know that. So fucking idiot. What? You got to study it. <laughs> Let me ask you something about your own personal opinion with improvisation, because it's a mystery to me in a lot of ways, but it's a righteous mystery. Yeah. But to me, there's a dilemma like who goes first? How mm. do you approach it? Or do you call it a dilemma? 
I don't know, you know, and that's a good question. So if I'm doing something with like, that's fully improvised, you know, where we didn't talk about any kind of structure beforehand, it's just kind of like, whoever does it, does it, and then you just deal with whatever they've done. Right? You know, like you can be supportive of what they've done, you can continue with the idea that they've shown, you can do something totally fucking different. You could pull a Charles Mingus and throw your bass at somebody, you know, like there's lots of options. <laughs> right, right. Well, but well, it's what? just kind of like part of my job, I see it as, as a bass player, you know, like traditionally in jazz, the bass player is the keeper of the tempo and the keeper of the heartbeat and the one that drives the band. And I feel like even in improvisation, for the improvisation, that's still my job. You know, like even if I'm like playing like bowing styrofoam on my bass, I think to an extent my job is to give foundations to other people to do their thing, but also to push people into the direction that I want them to go. Oh, or nudge. <laughs> yeah, or nudge, right. Um, yeah, but I, I get what you mean. And, you know, in those books, you know, the old jazz cats, whole time. Whole time. Right? They were That's always right. yelling at the bass guys. But in those days, it was like anybody wasn't a horn was in the rhythm section because they were so fucking loud. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I can't even imagine those guys playing, like, unamplified next yeah. to Elton Jones, yeah. you know? Yeah, drummers too, but 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 the the horns, right? And you had like <coughs> six, seven guys, eight, nine guys, something you know, with the big bands, all kinds, because mm-hmm. the, they were competing with the dancers' feet. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Whole different trip in those days. Okay, let's get into this thing you did and what I put in between, because I again I split it into two parts, and for the baloney part, I put Professor Eugene by himself, just so people can nice. hear the prof. Man alone mode versus collab, okay. And when you're not, not pushes but nudges, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is arrangement of Le Laureate by Olivier Messiaen. Thank you very much for piano piece arranged for banjo and bass. We are
Scott from Pedro Show. Last music for this edition. Chunk started off with, yeah. Les Leroy from Catalog of the Birds by Olivier Messian, part one of two. Eugene Chaborn, David Menestre, and then Eugene Chaborn, man alone mode. If there's a Zev, there has to be a Ziv, according to Franz, just. And then part two of two of the Little Roy from Catalog of the Birds, Olivier Messiaen, Eugene Chabord, David Menestre. So, what is next for you? What's 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 sitting on the stove right now? Um, so at the moment, um, Tamarisk, you know, is still a thing, but we live fifteen hundred miles apart, so we don't <laughs> do stuff too often. But we're going to do a short tour in December out in Texas. And I got some shows coming up with Os or Os or OS um, with Lynn Book. I think you played some of that at the beginning. Yes, I did. Um, but like, uh, you don't know how to pronounce it either. <laughs> no, neither me nor Lynn knows how to pronounce the name of the band, and I think that's that's intentional. Um, okay. You know, like uh, I sure. kind of like the idea of a band name because it implies a certain permanence, as opposed to just being like our names. You know, like that, which could be like a pickup group or something. Right. Emerson, so Mike I kind of I pushed her for a band name, and that's what Lynn came up with. Okay. And Oss, like obviously, there's like the operating system thing, but Oss. Oh, that's Oss, right is actually um it's the opening at either end of the vagina ah. and you know if like a 67 or whatever year old woman says she wants to name the band after a part of her vagina who am i to say no right and if you add another o you got bear in spanish <laughs> <laughs> also 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 right from ursa right the right, Latin. right right yeah so so where uh, people on the internet where can they find your music um, so definitely Bandcamp. Uh, you can look for Polly Orchard. You can search for David Menestre, which is M-E-N-E-S-T-R-E-S for those of you playing along at home. Um, I have a website. You can buy stuff from Squidco. Um, that Tamarisk plays a word for wind is available from Astral Editions, which is an imprint of Astral Spirits. Um, so, you know, the Google will get you there since there's literally only four people in the world with my last name. So it's pretty easy to figure out which one's me. Well, some search engines are better than others. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but definitely band camp. And for, for sure. different situations. So, like, if you want to search for artist people, that Google thing won't work with the Whoop page. But if you use that microshite, bing, bing, bada, boom. Don't ask me why. I don't, no, no money is traded hands with what with these people. But, so, I can't believe Mike Watt is fucking shilling for bing. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. Because such a shite. But I just want to... It's kind of an antidote for shilling for Google. You know, Ian totally. McKay will get really angry if you say that. He says, "You say use the search engine. Don't say that Google. <laughs> yeah, don't give those people. And that's why I don't use the P word for my show. Well, I never have anyway. They yeah. didn't have that word yet. Uh, so, uh, really quick, you mentioned Bertram Tureski you like. But any other stand-up bass guys? Um, definitely for me, like the three big ones are Charles Mingus, yes. uh, Ch Charlie Hayden, yes, and um, Ben Patterson, who was a Fluxus artist, yes, uh, Damon yes. Smith, you know, I'm sure has talked to your off about Ben Patterson. Um, but yeah, I think those three is kind of like, at least at the moment, when I think about like my heritage, so to speak, those yeah. are the three names that pop up first, right? Right. I, th I thought you were going to say Jimmy Blanton and fucking Paul Chambers. Oh, fuck Paul yeah. Chambers. I mean, Jimmy Blanton is number four and Paul <laughs> no. Chambers is number five. And, yeah. You know, you know, you know no, no. Like, you know, John Coltrane was standing on the sh shoulders of giants, right? You, you never yeah. forget the elders. That's why I asked that. David, such an honor. When you get some new music, 
can you please come back on the show so we can play it and talk about it? Yeah, anytime, man. Anytime. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Safe seas, brother. People, it's been Wap Pedro Show, August 29, 2023. Keep you powdered.